So this evening's Bible reading is from 1 Corinthians chapter 4. We're going to start reading at verse 6. You can find that on the church Bibles on 1146. So that's Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, starting at verse 6. 1146 is the page number. Now, brothers, I have applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, so that you may learn from us the meaning of the saying, do not go beyond what is written, then you will not take pride in one man over another. For who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why, you, why do you boast as though you did not? Already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. You have become kings and without us. Now, I wish that you really had become kings so that we might be kings with you. For it seems to me that God has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession. Like men condemned to die in the arena, we have been made a spectacle to the whole universe, to angels as well as to men. We are fools for Christ, but you are so wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are so strong. You are honored, we are dishonored. To this very hour, we go hungry and thirsty. We are in rags. We are brutally treated. We are homeless. We work hard with our own hands. We are cursed. When we are cursed, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. Up to this moment, we have become the scum of the earth the refuse of the world. I am not writing this to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. Even though you have 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. And therefore, I urge you to imitate me. For this reason, I am sending to you Timothy, my son whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. He will remind you of my life, my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. Some of you have become arrogant, as if I were not coming to you. But I will come to you very soon, if the Lord is willing, and then I will find out not only how these arrogant people are talking, but what power they have. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. What do you prefer? Shall I come to you with a whip or in love with a gentle spirit? Thank you, Janet. For reading for us. I want to begin, if it's okay, with a scenario. Uh, imagine someone comes to you and they want to find out what the Christian life is like. Uh, imagine they're not one yet, they've 
looked at the evidence, they've been convinced, but this person comes to you because they want to know what should their expectations be of a life with Christ. I wonder what it is you would say in answer to that question. What are your expectations of a Christian life? Maybe you want to talk about the benefits, and so you highlight to them all the things that are good, the fact you know God, uh, the fact that you become part of a church and uh, become part of a community that loves you. Or perhaps you don't want to give them a false impression, and so you speak about some of the struggles, the new battle with sin, or uh, those moments where you're teased for what you believe. Or maybe for some of us, that question just seems a bit confusing. In what sense is our life any different to the people around us? Well, that is the question at the heart of our passage this evening. Uh, The question at the heart of this passage is, what is our expectation of life with Christ? See, we've been looking at this section in 1 Corinthians that runs from chapters 1 to 4, And tonight we get to the last part of that section, and here Paul drops what I think the kids call a bombshell as he says to them, you've got all the wrong expectations of what it looks like to live as a Christian. We're going to see three things here. We're going to see where they've got things wrong. We're going to see the inauthentic life, that they live as kings. Uh, But then we're going to look at the authentic life and what that means. And then finally, we're going to see why it's all worth it, uh, what it looks like to live for Christ. See, that first point then, for four chapters now, Paul has been setting out the weakness of the gospel. Remember, he's told us that it's not powerful as the world sees power. It's not wise as the world sees wisdom. But you wouldn't guess that by looking at the Corinthian church. Look at how he describes them in verse 8. He says this, Already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. You have become kings. And that without us. Now, in case you're wondering, Paul's being a little bit sarcastic here. He's not writing this for them to go, oh, thank you very much, we are kings. Or, yeah, we are rich. Uh, Glad you noticed. He's, He's pointing out how foolish this is. He's saying you live as if you're a king. You live as if you've made it. See, the the Corinthian church, they were blessed in many ways. Have a look over the page back at chapter 1, verse 7. And here, Paul, when he introduced the letter, said to them, Therefore you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly await for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. And there's no evidence there he's exaggerating. He says you've got every spiritual gift. This was a church that was immensely gifted. They had the best speakers. They had the huge congregation. They had money in the church bank account. That's not the problem. But the problem is that success had gone to their heads. They thought that they were the bee's knees. They thought they they were the only church that mattered. They thought they were the church of all churches. And Paul comes along with a pin to burst their balloon. Uh, Back over the page in verse 7, he asks this, For what makes you 
any different from anyone else, what did you what do you have that you did not receive? And if you did not receive it, why do you boast? If you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? See, Paul says, look, all your boasts are empty because they all are things that God has given you. I was speaking to a a vicar a few years ago, and um, this vicar was uh, a minister in a village, and uh, I was fascinated by this, being, you know, an urban vicar and all that, and uh, I was speaking to him. I said, what's it like being in a village? You know, do you have to wear a, you know, a white hat and cycle with a basket on the front and that sort of thing? He said, yeah, yeah, you do, you do, and, um, you know, I bet, I bet you're invited to the village fates. Yes, I am, and uh, he told me about this time that he was invited to the village fate, and his job, obviously, as a vicar, is to judge the flower arranging in the, the flower arranging tent, and um, He'd just done it a couple of weeks before, and, and as he went into the tent, someone grabbed him and said, I don't know if you know this, Vicar, but there's a rumor going around that someone's used a florist. <laughs> and he said he went in, and he saw this amazing display, and it was pretty clear he used a florist, and uh, he thought he'd stir things up by awarding them first place. Huge scandal, obviously. But it seems a bit silly, doesn't it, to use a florist because we want to win the church uh, the village flower arranging competition. But we all have our versions of that, don't we? Claiming something as our own. Our church has the largest congregation, don't you know? Our church is always doing things for the community. Our church has amazing people. You should see the congregation, they're really good looking. This isn't meant to be a description of us, particularly. Uh, but you get the point, don't you? And Paul says, that, why are you boasting in that? As if that's from you. God builds the church. He chooses people. He reveals himself to people who don't know him. And perhaps for the Corinthian church, it was even more tempting, particularly given their background, Uh, Have a look back over the page with me to chapter 1, verse 26, because look at how he describes them. If I can balance it, I'll read it to you. Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. See, this was a group that was at the bottom of the social pile. And maybe because of that, they thought to themselves, well, here's the opportunity to be something. I've never been thought of as clever, but actually I'm in a community now where I can learn the Bible and I can quote it to others, and people will think I'm really intellectual. Or I've never been particularly influential, but do you know what? If I lead the Sunday school or manage the flower arranging, or whatever it might be, people will listen to me and have to do what I say. And Paul says that kind of attitude, that kind of living, living as kings, is the complete opposite to the gospel. The gospel is not a mechanism through which we project our self-image, that we sort of build up our ego. That is not authentic Christian living. So what is authentic Christian living? Well, Paul goes on 
to show us in this second part from verses 11 to 13, because he turns in this section, it's a bit blurry, but he turns in this section from the Corinthians and the way they're living to the way him and the apostles live. And it couldn't look any more different. Look at how he describes his own life in verse 9. For it seems to me that God has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession, like men condemned to die in the arena. If there was one thing the Romans liked, it was a good old procession. I know the British love a procession. We've had many over the last 12 months, but the Romans really did like them. And uh, the way they did processions was uh, often off the back of a military triumph. And they would put the, 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 the general who had won the battle right at the front on a chariot, who would ride this chariot into the city and behind him, there would be a long chain of people going down in rank. And right at the back of that chain of people would be the captives, the defeated, in chains, being paraded to the arena where they're going to become food for lions. And Paul says, you guys, you're at the front of your kings, but actually us apostles, we're at the back we're the captives. Look at the contrast he gives in verse 10. We are fools for Christ, but you're so wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are honored, but we're dishonored. Or look at the description he gives at the end of verse 13. Up to this moment, we have become the scum of the earth, the refuse of the world. That word for scum and refuse, um, sorry if you're just eating dinner, but uh, the word scum, it describes the, the stuff if you sweep the floor. I don't know if you've ever done that, kids. Uh, but as you sweep the floor, you get that sort of horrible dust off of it. I'm so I'm told anyway. And uh, that's the kind of word here. Or the scum, it's the kind of dirt, sorry you know, to get graphic, uh, someone's you know, passing out already, but it's the sort of dirt that comes off your body. So um, I don't know if you've ever had that job of cleaning the shower plug and you pull it out and you, you, know, you gag as you breathe in, uh, all sorts of stuff. That's the kind of word here. And Paul says that that is what we've become to the world, the stuff in the bottom of the shower, the stuff in the dustpan. So you're going back to that scenario we looked at at the beginning. Imagine someone came to you and said, what are your expectations? What should I expect from the Christian life? And you, I wonder if anyone thought I, was, I would answer with this. You'll become the scum of the earth, the refuse of the world. But for Paul, that is the authentic Christian life. Not being kings, not being top dog, not being first, but being right at the end of the procession. Scum to the world. Now, why on earth would anyone want to live this way? Well, Paul does something very impressive here. He does something very genius uh, with, um, with his rhetoric here because he, he moves to speak about himself to speak about someone else. Um, I was trying to think of a way of kind of understanding this. Um, I don't know if you've ever met someone who uh, really loves uh, a pop star or something like that, and they become like that figure. So um, I remember meeting someone uh, a few years ago, and I could have sworn it was Taylor Swift, but it was obviously someone who was just a big Taylor Swift fan and modelled herself on them. Now, 
Um, kids, you have to ask your grown-ups afterwards, but there was a band called Oasis in the 90s. Everyone, anyone heard of those? I used to copy Noel Gallagher, uh, always haircuts. He had a Mancunian accent. I tried to put that on from time to time. And he had a bit of a swagger, and I tried that. Uh, yes, it is true. Um, you know, you look at me, and you think, oh, yeah, you're, you're living that way because you admire this person. And Paul does something very similar here. Because as you read this, it kind of blurs from Paul into someone else. Um, as I read it, just ask yourself, where have I heard this before? Uh, verse 12, he says, We work hard with our own hands. When we are cursed, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. Up to this moment, we become the scum of the earth, the refuge of the world. See, hopefully you've spotted it sounds an awful lot like Christ-like. In fact, that verse, we, uh, that, 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 that phrase, when we curse, we bless, it comes from the Sermon on the Mount. And it was Jesus, of course, who endured even when he was slandered. And Paul does something here to make the penny drop for the Corinthians. He says, this is the life of Christ. See, to look down on the weak life and think, no, I'm not having that, I'm going to live as a king. Or to look down their noses at Paul and think, well, that's okay for them, but not for me. It just doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense to say, actually, I'm going to live for a crucified Messiah who looks very weak, but actually, I'm going to live like a king. See, Christ didn't live as a king. He was executed as a traitor. Christ didn't become rich. He gave up his riches to become poor. Christ didn't live his best life now. He gave that all up for you and me so that in him we might be free. And it just doesn't make sense to look at Christ, to say you follow him, but not have that reflected in your own life. Jesus said, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Or Jesus said to a crowd, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. You know, Paul's not calling for suffering for the sake of it. He's not calling for the Corinthians to die for people's sins. They don't do that but he is calling for them to live their lives in the shape of the cross, to look weak to the world, to put aside that ambition for worldly power, and to embrace the life of Christ. I wonder, is that our expectation of the Christian life? It gets very challenging, doesn't it? I was preparing this, and I was in my nice study, thinking I've got this fantastic desk, and height adjustable chair with lumbar support and books around me and it all looks very comfortable and I have to ask myself am I willing to embrace the weakness of the cross to hold loosely to those things is there anything in my life that if God asked me to give it up for his sake I would say no way because to live an authentic life is not just to believe in Christ, to acknowledge him, but to live and walk 
the way he walked, in weakness, being shunned by the world for our sake. Now, maybe some of us are asking the question, why on earth would I want to do that? I mean, who would want to do that? And that's why I want us to focus on this last point, where Paul gets us to see the whole motivation for this. Because in verses 15 onwards, he shifts from how they're living to who they're living for. Have a look at verse 15, where he says this, "'Even though you have 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers.'" Now, that word guardian, it's kind of neutral to us. Either we think of a newspaper or we think of um, someone who looks after children. Uh, But it's a well-known word in the ancient world. Um, It was someone who who had the responsibility to look after the household's children. They were often the chief slave. It was often a rich family. And their job was to kind of take the son normally to their lessons, to check they weren't getting into trouble uh, at the football pitch, that, to make sure they were in the right place at the right time. And it wasn't that they were bad, but they just wasn't the, they weren't the father. And so often they would resort to hitting the young child with a rod and kind of making sure they're sticking in line. Here's a picture of some vases, um, which is more interesting than it sounds. Uh, you'll see on the left, here's the guardian figure. Uh, here's the boy on the right. And the guardian's got this crook, Uh, which um, was a kind of giveaway sign of what this guardian looked like. And he's telling the boy, you know, make sure you get to your teacher's house, you know, make sure you do your lessons. And on the right, um, you'll see that actually here's one of the guardians with his rod ready to beat the child to kind of put him into line. And Paul says, look, you've got 10,000 guardians. You've got 10,000 people like that. Not bad, but They're kind of there with their rod, getting you into line. And it's not clear whether Paul's talking about literal leaders in the Corinthian church or just the way they've chosen to live. But he is saying that desire to be top dog, to put yourself first, to make sure other people think you're impressive, what it's like putting yourself under the old guardian with their stick, and that is what has happened with the Corinthian church. See, they're not a church that is loving one another. They're a church that's turned on one another. They're a church that are divided, trying to outdo one another. And in that effort to be top dog, they've created a culture where actually they've got these guardians with their little sticks to beat one another. I'm sure we know what that's like, don't we? If we choose to make our ambition our top goal, well, there's always someone that's better than us. If we choose to build our self-image on how intellectual we are or how much we know, the trouble is there's always someone who's cleverer than us. If we make ourselves good-looking and pile all our efforts into the gym, thinking that actually if we get the body that will make us impressive, well, there's always someone that can bench press more than us. And Paul says, it's like you've got this little man with a stick beating you, driving you towards making yourself top dog. But Paul says something different. He says in verse 15, you do not have many fathers, 
For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. See, the father is different to the guardian because the father has got a relationship with the son that the guardian hasn't. The father cares for the boy in a way the guardian doesn't. And Paul says, I'm like your father. In the gospel, actually, I care for you. See, it's in the gospel that we are liberated from that sense of having to perform and outdo one another for the sake of our self-image. Because the gospel recognizes how we are. It acknowledges that we're not top dog. It recognizes that we are a mess, that we're not wise, that we need God completely to act. And in doing so for us, we're liberated from that sense of having to prove ourselves, having to outdo one another, having to make sure we're first. And this is why a life of weakness is so much better than a life of making ourselves look impressive. Yes, we might lose reputation, but what does that matter with the reputation we've got in Christ? Yes, we might lose our status in society, but what does that matter when God has given us all the status we need in Christ? Yes, we may lose our comfort, but what does that matter with the comfort that Christ brings to us. Yes, we may lose our status, but actually we're not under the guardian. We have a father. Going back to that question right at the beginning, what is our expectation of the Christian life? Well, that's a question I'd like us all to ask for ourselves. It's a question I've had to ask myself, and it's a question I'm sure we keep needing to revisit. Very easy, isn't it? We're thankful for the comforts we have, for the life we enjoy, and there are many things to celebrate, and they're not bad in themselves. But it is our expectation to be weak, to put ourselves last, to take up our cross and follow Jesus. Because that is the path he trod for you and me. It's the path he calls us to, And it is the path of life as we're liberated from that need to put ourselves first. Let's pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father, that Jesus became poor. He gave up his kingship. He became weak. He embraced the shame of the cross. And we're sorry, Father, for when we want to live uh, in an opposite way to him. Please forgive us, Father. Please help us to see the wonder of a life of weakness. And please drive us, Father, by your Spirit to embrace that life and to, to find the liberty that is found in that way. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. That coming to answer some of your questions. Thank you for them. Although, actually, the first one that came in was for me, so thank you. Um, I'll sit down. No, no, <laughs> stay here. I, I need a buddy. Um, Alex, you said, some, uh, said about putting it on Tim and Anna's heart to go overseas and tell people about Jesus. What does that mean? Um, I think we can understand it 
um, in terms of this passage, actually, can't we? Um, like, what a mad thing, sorry, Tim, like, I mean, it's a good thing, what a mad but amazing thing for two graduates from a good university, Bristol's pretty good, isn't it, um, to disappear into obscurity to go and tell people about a God that they may not even care about. What a weak and foolish thing to do, but what a glorious thing to do, because it's so Jesus-shaped, isn't it? Um, and so, how does one person get from thinking, oh, I want to be ambitious and uh, sort of grasping and building up myself in life to actually I'm going to go and do something like that? It's God putting it on people's hearts, isn't it? It's changing the heart for what we want and what we love. Um, and giving the opportunity to, I mean, Tim shared about uh, neighbours and things that, you know, must have piqued the interest. I don't want to put words in his mouth, though. Go and ask him precisely how it happened. But uh, something like that is what I meant. Rob. Alex. Thank you. Can you help us understand why being fools for Christ is good when elsewhere in the Bible, so Proverbs 14.5 is, is quoted here, it says the wealth